0: Our topic this afternoon is doubt, and we'll have, as we always do, a time for questions at the end. So if you have one, or two, or three, you could uh, scribble them down and we'll have time at the end. And I've decided today to give you an outline of this. It's double-sided. That's mainly because, or partly because, it's too long to fit on the screen all at once. So this hopefully will help you... If you've got a skeleton of the outline in front of you to help you to follow where we are but another reason for giving you an outline is that maybe it'll be useful in the future for you to look back on this the idea is to try to give ourselves some kind of map of this topic and some ideas about how to respond to it depending on where you are on the map so we're going to look at this topic in three sections first of all what are we talking about second we'll think about the varieties of doubt and third then dealing with doubt so first of all what are we talking about what do we mean by doubt i think this is a helpful definition by gary habermas he says doubt is the lack of certainty about the truthfulness of christianity one's own faith or how it applies to real-life situations. So doubt is not necessarily the opposite of faith. It is not necessarily unbelief. It's a struggle experienced by the believer. And if we read the Bible, we discover even the greatest heroes of the faith experience doubt. Think, for example, of Job. He experienced many doubts about God's goodness. Or Abraham, he doubted God's promise that Sarah would have a child. It seems John the Baptist had doubts whether Jesus really was the Messiah or not. The most famous doubter in the Bible might be Thomas. But the New Testament tells us that in fact, all the disciples experienced doubt of one kind or another. So the fact that you may have doubts does not make you necessarily an unbeliever. Of course, there is a kind of doubt that comes from an unbelieving heart. The Bible mentions that kind of doubt as well. It's the kind of doubt that is totally closed to God and His Word. It's a stubborn refusal to believe. That is not the kind of doubt we're dealing with this afternoon. The point for us to see just at the start is that genuine believers are very likely to experience some kind of doubt at one time or another. John Stevens was with us a few weeks ago and he has written a helpful book on doubt, which I'll mention again at the end. And in that book he says, doubt will be a problem for all of God's people some of the time and for some of God's people for much of the time. So I hope the first thing we can achieve this afternoon is for all of us to relax a little bit. If you're a Christian who experiences doubt, that does not put you outside of God's family. And in fact, we'll see later, going through doubt can actually help us to grow and mature as Christians. If we tackle our doubts in the right way, the results can be good and helpful. Now, none of this means doubt in itself is a good thing. We'll also see later that we dare not ignore doubt. We dare not get comfortable with doubt. Doubt can be destructive. It's not something to be ignored. But now that we have a general idea what doubt is, we need to think about the varieties of doubt. And we'll break this down into three varieties. Doubts that are connected to evidence and facts. Doubts that are connected to sin. And doubts that are connected to expectations, emotions, and experience. This is important because in order to tackle doubt, it helps to know what kind of doubt we're dealing with. So number one, doubts connected to evidence and facts. This is probably the most Obvious variety of doubt. I'm not sure it's the most common variety, really, but it arises when we come into contact with information or arguments that unsettle us. Maybe we see a program on TV where an apparent expert is rolled out and he tells us things which seem to conflict with what the Bible says. Or we hear things that question the reliability of the Bible. Or we read something in the Bible itself which unsettles us. We're not sure what to make of it. The good news is this particular variety of doubt might be the most straightforward one to tackle. The church has been forced to think about the truthfulness and the reliability of Scripture for a couple of thousand years. So it's unlikely that our questions are going to be new in this area. And very often there's evidence or there's good answers that are available to us if we'll look for them. Then the second variety of doubt is doubts that are connected to sin. I've heard about one church leader who says, when someone tells me they're having doubts about their faith, the very first question I ask them is, when did you start sleeping with your girlfriend? The point is... If someone is living in a kind of, any kind of persistent, unrepented sin, then they should not be surprised if they start having a crisis of faith. In the situation that that church leader mentioned, doubt is not the real issue at all. The real issue is sin. It causes us to feel distant from God and that is going to fuel doubts. So in that situation, the first step to tackling the doubt is not to go and read a book about the historical reliability of the Bible. The way forward in that situation is to turn first from the sin. And doubt can start not just from a sin that we're involved in. It can start with desire. A sin that we would really actually like to be involved in when we have a strong desire for something that God forbids, well, then it becomes very convenient for us to start doubting God's Word. Then we can go and do what we wanted to do because, well, I'm not just sure if I believe the Bible anymore. And so one thing to consider is what kind of stuff am I immersing myself in? If I'm living on a steady diet of music and internet and TV shows that are promoting and celebrating sin, if I'm drinking that stuff in every day, is it really a big surprise then to find that I start doubting God's goodness and God's reliability? What we immerse ourselves in is going to impact our outlook. The kind of immersion that will strengthen our faith is immersing ourselves in whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Then another factor is not just our own personal sin issues. What about the sin of other people? Hypocrisy. That can rock our faith. When we see another Christian claiming to believe certain things, but living in a way that denies those claims, especially if it's a Christian we've really looked up to. The thing to remember in those situations is is that the hypocrisy of Christians, as terrible as it can be, it does not affect the truthfulness of Christianity. As we were reminded this morning, Christianity rests on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It does not rest on the authenticity of those who profess to follow Christ. But at the same time, this is a reminder to us. Our own sin can have a real impact on other people's faith. And then a third variety of doubt. Doubts that are connected to expectations, emotions and experience. Sometimes we doubt because we expected God to do something and he didn't do it. So for example, maybe we were convinced God was going to heal someone. We prayed for it. We were sure God would do it. The person doesn't get better. In fact, maybe they get worse. Or maybe we were convinced that our life of obedience to God would make sure that bad things didn't happen to us. Or that it would guarantee financial prosperity in our life. But instead, we find ourselves maybe out of work, we find ourselves struggling to pay our bills. If we have those kind of expectations about how God is going to do things. If we have a set of beliefs that says Christians should never face difficulty or struggle. Then our faith is going to be rocked when things do not go as we expected. We may begin to doubt God's goodness and God's faithfulness. The way to tackle those kinds of doubts is to examine our expectations. Are they in line with God's Word? Has God actually promised the things we were expecting from Him? Or have we actually been living with unbiblical expectations? If we have, then the problem is not with God or the Bible. The problem is our own wrong expectations. And the way forward is to go back to the Bible and work to bring our expectations in line with what the the Bible says. And for some of us here, one area where we face this particularly is in the area of assurance. Now I'm assuming here that we are trusting in Jesus. We're not living in defiance of God like we talked about a moment ago. But still, we can regularly doubt, perhaps, whether God really loves us. Maybe we don't feel like a Christian a lot of the time. Or we don't just think that we're good enough. And this is where we need to trust the Bible more than we trust our feelings. The Bible tells us our acceptance with God does not depend on what we have done for God. It rests on what God has done for us. John Stevens puts it like this. It is a wonderful encouragement that the simplest faith in Jesus, weak and faltering though it may be, is able to save and bring assurance of eternal life. This is because the saving power of faith is not found in the faith itself, but in the object of our faith. It is not our faith that saves us, but Jesus. So even the smallest faith in him is effective. It is not our faith that saves us, but Jesus. Now, if we struggle with assurance, we probably won't put these kind of doubts to rest once and for all, just by hearing a quote This is the kind of truth we're going to have to hear more than once or twice or even ten times. It's a truth we'll have to keep coming back to probably for our whole lives. Neil Martin says, We won't always feel sure that God cares for us. Feelings naturally ebb and flow to a greater or lesser extent from person to person and from time to time. If we use them as a test of our acceptability with God, we could reach a different conclusion every day of the week. But feelings aren't the test the Bible uses. The Bible teaches us to look to Jesus' righteousness as the measure of our acceptability. Our moods and our feelings have no bearing on the actual state of our salvation. Our hope is ultimately in Jesus rather than ourselves. And if that is the case, then we're just as saved on our lowest, darkest days as we are on our very best days. Another issue under doubts that are connected to expectations, emotions, and experience is cultural pressure. Pressure. Very often, as we know, our Christian outlook is at odds with what's accepted and what's normal in our culture. And that can put us, as we again heard this morning, under tremendous pressure to conform. Now, even if that pressure doesn't come in the form of direct persecution, it hurts when people think we're stupid because of what we believe. Nobody likes that. Even worse when people think we're dangerous because of what we believe. And that pressure can lead to doubts about our faith. But it's important to stop and realize just because Christians are in the minority, that doesn't make us wrong. The very first Christians were a minority. It's nothing new. G.K. Chesterton said, we should realize this about the masses of people who don't believe what we believe. He says, in the vast majority of cases, it is not because they've looked into Christianity and found it wanting. It's because they've never looked into it at all. Their unbelief doesn't disprove Christianity. They've never even examined the evidence for Christianity. When the culture is against us, it doesn't mean the culture is right or that it's even stopped to think about these things. We've seen recently in the book of Kings in the Old Testament, very often the crowd just believes what they're told to believe. One more thing on doubts connected to expectations, emotions, and experience personal issues. Issues to do with our own unique personality and circumstances and our unique mental and physical makeup. Vaughan Roberts calls this the personality factor. Some of us are naturally prone to a negative, melancholy outlook on life. We have to recognize that in ourselves and then do our best to ask when we have doubts, How much of these doubts I'm having are due, actually, to my personality? Have I really run into a genuine problem with Christianity? Or have I sunk into another bout of general depression? Is that what's fueling my doubts? Or we can ask ourselves, are these doubts connected to the stage of life that I'm going through? Is there some big upheaval in my employment or my family? Am I going through grief after losing a loved one? Those things can churn up religious doubt. Not because we've come across some new striking evidence against Christianity. Upheavals in our life churn up doubt because they're churning up everything in our life. And we need to realize also how much tiredness, exhaustion, and even hunger can have an impact on us spiritually. We're not just disembodied spirits. Our bodies, minds, and spirits are tightly connected together. And so John Stevens says, as others have pointed out as well, simply getting a good night's sleep, eating a good meal, taking exercise, having a day off or a holiday may be sufficient to relieve doubt. Now that certainly is not going to cure every case of doubt. But we shouldn't underestimate how much bodily factors can impact us spiritually. I think we're only just beginning to grasp how much lack of sleep hurts us and how good sleep helps us but god has known that all along he made us in first kings when elijah if you remember was depressed and he wanted to die he ran and sat under a bush and asked god to take away his life What was the first thing god did He didn't give Elijah a speech about his promises and his power. God got to that eventually. But the first thing God did was to provide Elijah with a double dose of sleep and food. And in the New Testament, it's no surprise at all, the devil chose to tempt Jesus when Jesus was hungry. The Bible understands the connection between our bodies and our spirits. And from the very beginning, God has set a pattern for us of work and rest and balance. Now, sometimes we are in situations where we can't get the sleep we need or other factors prevent us. But if we regularly ignore this prescription of regular rest, then we can expect spiritual problems. And those problems will have nothing to do with the truth of Christianity. The big point so far is the importance of recognizing the different varieties of doubt. That will help us see the best way to deal with our own doubt. So if we sit up half the night reading a book about the resurrection when what we really need is eight hours of sleep then we're going to make the problem worse instead of better. On the other hand, maybe instead of lying in bed all day what we really ought to do is get up and read that book on the resurrection. When you and I experience doubt we have to try and diagnose the root of it. We might need some help with that, but it's important to try and do it. And then we can move on to think about dealing with doubt. And the first thing to do is work against doubt before you face doubt. In other words, rather than waiting until doubt comes and smacks you, we can be proactive we can do that in a number of ways. One way is by taking our relationship with God seriously. Reading the Bible and praying are not just spiritual duties that for some reason we're supposed to do. Those things are the pathway to knowing God better. Becoming stronger in our faith and more resistant to doubt. Oz Guinness says, A living faith is a relationship. And like any relationship, it must be cherished, nurtured, fostered, and prized for itself. Like an art or a skill, faith must not only be learned, but kept in practice and developed. And then from C.S. Lewis. He says, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? It takes time to cultivate our relationship with God. We have to set aside time to pray and to read the Bible thoughtfully. We might need a study Bible to help us with the harder bits. And it's true, no matter how busy we are, we can all find time for the things that really matter to us. And so what does my weekly schedule say about how much my relationship with God matters to me? In Colossians, Paul says, The peace of Christ will rule in our hearts as we spend time with the message of Christ. The peace of Christ will rule in our hearts as we spend time with the message of Christ. We're less likely to experience doubt and more likely to experience the peace of Christ if we soak ourselves regularly in the message of Christ the good news of who He is and what He's done and what He is going to do. We can also work against doubt before we face doubt by committing to Christian community. Again, John Stevens has more to say on this. He says, God's people are not meant to, To live lonely, isolated lives, which is a recipe for doubt. God saves us into his new community, the church. And we are called to face the challenges of faith together with our brothers and sisters. If you lift a hot, glowing coal out of the fire and set it somewhere by itself that coal is very soon going to stop glowing and grow cold. In order to stay hot, it needs to stay close to other hot coals. And for us, our faith will suffer if we don't stay close to others who have a living faith. Isolating ourselves is a very, very bad idea. The book of Hebrews points that out to us. It connects our hope in God to our commitment to Christian community. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day there is the day of Christ's return. And the writer of Hebrews links holding on to our hope in Christ with the spurring on and the encouragement that comes from other believers. We need those hot coals around us. We need to spend time with believers talking about the hope we profess. Facing difficulties together. Don't let yourself become isolated. Commit to Christian community. And we can also be proactive by learning the firm foundations of the faith. We said earlier, the church has been responding to challenges to the faith for over 2,000 years. You and I are not the first ones to experience doubt. We're not the first ones to try and work through doubt. Many generations of Christians have dealt with it. And the process they have proved, again and again, we have a reasonable faith. We're not called to a blind, unthinking faith. There are adequate answers to many of our questions. Now, until Christ returns, we will never understand everything fully. But many of our questions can be answered. And being proactive in that can help us deal with challenges to the faith when they come along. Another way to preempt doubt is by living what we say we believe. The book of James tells us that faith, which does not lead to action, isn't real faith at all. It's dead faith. True living faith is not about ticking a list of truths and saying, I believe all that. I sign up to it. Living faith puts what it believes into practice. It steps out and it puts those beliefs to work. When you and I make sacrifices and when we take risks to obey God and serve him, that is what makes our faith strong. We begin to experience his power and faithfulness instead of just talking about it. We begin to experience the joy of his kingdom instead of just singing about it. We can work against doubt before we face doubt by realizing that difficult questions are normal. Neil Martin puts it like this. It is no surprise that Christians face difficult questions. Christianity deals with difficult subjects. It forces us to think about life and death. Heaven and hell. Morality, responsibility, and our duties towards each other. These things are bound to unsettle us. Whether we've just started out or have been living the Christian life for a long time. As Christians, we're interested in God. A being who, according to the Bible, is eternal. Omniscient, knowing all things. Omnipotent, all-powerful. And omnipresent, omnipresent who exists in some way outside the constraints of time, and who is sovereign over the creation and sustenance of everything that is. And so, he says, it is self-evident that many of the things we would like to know about him lie beyond the capacity of human understanding. If they didn't, we'd have to question whether we were dealing with God at all. In other words, if you and I could fully understand God, if it was easy to grasp everything about him, what kind of God would he be? Not a very big one. Not big enough to be relied on. So difficult questions may not be normal when it comes to football or the weather. But of course they're normal when we're talking about God and eternity and salvation. We should expect that and not be thrown into doubt by it. If we could deal with these kinds of things and never run into anything difficult, that would be a serious problem. Another way to work against doubt before we face it is by realizing that Christian faith is faith. It's connected to the last one. 2 Corinthians says we live by faith, not by sight. We can see some things, but we certainly can't see everything. We're called to trust God on the basis of what he has revealed about himself and what he's already done in history. Sometimes we forget that. We act like there shouldn't need to be any faith involved in the Christian faith. Here's Vaughn Roberts. It's another long quote, but I think it's helpful. He says, there are things we can be sure of, but there is also much we do not know. We're not in heaven yet. It is inevitable that while we wait for Christ's return and live in this fallen world, there will be... Uncertainties and unanswered questions. Jesus will not perform a special resurrection appearance just for me. I am called rather to believe on the basis of what others saw. John tells us that he wrote his gospel to provide us with eyewitness accounts of Jesus' ministry so that we who have not seen may believe. Goes on to say, we accept most of what we believe on the same basis, what others tell us. If I'm wise, I will not believe everything I'm told. But wisdom demands that I do not refuse to believe something simply because I have not witnessed it myself. I have never seen Napoleon Bonaparte, but I believe he existed. There are good reasons for doing so. Just as there are good reasons to accept the testimony of the early Christians about Jesus. Christian faith requires faith. Another way to work against doubt ahead of time is by realizing that non-believers doubt too. Sometimes we fall into doubt because we imagine that those who oppose Christianity have a much stronger case than they actually do. We think they're much more certain about their unbelief than they actually are. We need to remember those who don't believe the Bible's explanation of reality. They still have to answer all the same big questions that Christians have to answer. About origins and purpose and meaning and eternity. And if you and I look into their very best answers to those questions, we may end up saying to ourselves, what was I worried about? When someone asks a difficult question about your faith, it's perfectly legitimate to bounce it right back to them and say, how would you answer that question? That can be a very telling thing to do. Just to give you an example, in the U.S. there's a TV presenter called Bill Nye. He's known as the science guy. He scoffs at the Bible for being unscientific. How can we believe God created life on earth? But I've heard him say on TV, I believe the raw material for life on earth was brought to earth by aliens. That's not exactly a devastating alternative to what the Bible tells us. But it's a fairly common belief among non-Christian scientists. And I suspect that Bill Nighy, for all his confidence in front of the TV cameras, I suspect sometimes he wonders if he's got it right about the aliens. Gary Habermas gives us another example. He says, a Christian friend of mine once had dinner with a world-renowned atheist. During the meal, a believer asked the philosopher if he had ever doubted his atheism. To his surprise, the atheist responded, Oh yes, I question the truth of my atheism all the time. What that tells us is doubt is a significant issue for anyone who believes in anything. The important question is, Can what we believe stand up to our doubts? Can what we believe in stand up to our doubts. Well, so much for preparing for doubt in advance. What do we do then when doubt comes? First of all, don't ignore it. Just because doubt happens to almost everyone, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take it seriously. If we ignore doubt, it can grow into unbelief. And in the meantime, it can make us miserable and ineffective Christians. And even if it doesn't progress all the way to unbelief, it can rob us of the joy of our salvation, can leave us cynical. We can get to the point where we hardly care enough to bother trying to deal with our doubts. So when doubt comes, don't ignore it, but don't be scared. You've already noticed it's very, very likely other Christians have asked the same questions that you're asking. We're not as original as we'd like to think sometimes with our doubts. Don't be proud. Chris Sparks says, even though we shouldn't be surprised if we experience doubt, we shouldn't be proud of it either. It is something we should be looking to work through, not wallow in. And sometimes we need to be humble enough to really listen to the answers from Scripture, remembering we don't actually know everything already and that Scripture just might have something still to show us. When doubt comes, see it as an opportunity to grow. Going through doubt does not have to weaken our faith. When we address doubts honestly and when we come out the other side of them, experience can produce a stronger faith, a more confident faith. It can produce a deeper joy in our salvation, it can produce greater usefulness in the church. Remember what you have and what you know. When doubt comes along, stop and remember God's work in history and God's work in your own life. Remember the things He's taught you, the past experiences that He's brought you through. When a new experience of doubt comes along, it doesn't suddenly erase all that you've known and experienced of God in the past. Never doubt in the darkness of life what God has already taught you in the light. Face the questions one at a time. One of the best pieces of advice someone gave me about this was don't ignore the questions you have, but don't put them on the table all at one time. The cumulative effect of that can make the issues seem much bigger and weightier than they really are individually. Instead, this person told me, put your questions in an imaginary ice box. You're not ignoring them, but you're putting them in cold storage and then take them out and deal with them one at a time. I think that's very helpful. And while you're working through those questions from cold storage, don't give up living the Christian life. We noticed earlier, putting our faith into practice is what strengthens it. If we abandon living the Christian life until all of our questions have been answered, we're basically saying we know that our doubts can never be solved. So we're surrendering even before we've tried to deal with them. No, we're more likely to come out on the other side of doubt if we carry on exercising our faith through obedience and service. Keep coming back to Jesus. Think of the Christian faith like ripples in a pond. If you throw a stone out into the middle of a pond, the ripples... What do they do? They work their way out from the center, finally out to the edges. Well, in Christianity, Jesus Christ is the center of the pond. But you and I can very easily get ourselves focused on the edges of the pond. Things that are, yes, they're part of the faith, but they're certainly not the center of the faith. They're kind of peripheral issues. So we need to keep turning our attention back to Jesus who he was what he did if we do that then the ripples will take care of themselves so for example if you have questions about the reliability of the old testament don't start there start with jesus if jesus really did rise from the dead then he really is god and everything he said can be trusted And when we look at what Jesus said, we discover he told us the Old Testament can be trusted. And we could work through other examples like that. Jesus is the center of our faith. Keep coming back to him and the ripples will take care of themselves. Remember you're in a spiritual battle. That's a significant Old Testament, uh, sorry, a New Testament theme. And I put a couple of New Testament references there in Galatians and Ephesians on your sheet. The Bible tells us we have an enemy called Satan who is constantly trying to undermine our trust in God. Satan is a liar. And he has plenty of people at work spreading his lies. In the media, in Hollywood, in the music business. We have to see our experiences of doubt as part of a big cosmic battle. God's truth against Satan's lies. We have to see things from that big perspective. Our doubts, they're part of a supernatural war. The devil attacks our faith in Jesus and the way to fight back is by pressing on to know and love Jesus more. Not by giving up. It's a spiritual battle. And last of all, don't fight the battle alone. Talk to someone you trust. Sometimes just sharing what is going on and sharing what's bothering you can slice away some of doubt's power. And it brings another person on board to help you work through your questions. That's what church leaders are for. That's what Christian friends are for. And partially, that's what discussions like this are for, so that we can bring some of this into the open and begin to talk about it. That's all I've planned to say. I'll just mention again John's book, How Can I Be Sure?, i've only got my own copy i didn't order advanced copies but if you'd like to have a look at this or you'd like me to order a copy just let me know afterwards and i can do that and if you're interested in information about particular kinds of doubts again just ask i'd be happy to recommend something if i don't have something i could try to find it for you but what i've said may have raised some questions So this is the chance to ask them or to comment